This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, April 24th, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. Arriving at the correct policy response to the coronavirus is vexing elected officials and driving a variety of responses. David Henderson is a senior fellow at the American Institute for Economic Research. He argues that there are a number of good reasons to protect those who are vulnerable, but otherwise open things back up sooner than later. We spoke last week. In any conventional setting where you have some number of human deaths that are uh, very likely, if if not known, absolutely, uh, and a government is trying to make a decision about uh, what uh, economic damage is acceptable to avoid those deaths, uh, how do economists think about that? Is it different than the way, say, actuaries would think about it? Uh, yeah, actuaries typically will look at earnings losses. Economists look at how people value their own lives. And so the typical thing people have used, and I actually questioned this in a blog post recently because of a contradiction it led to, is people use something called, or economists use something called VSL, value of a statistical life. And here's what they do to get that. They look at people in a risky occupation, and a risky occupation might be one where there's an extra one in 10,000 probability of dying in a year. And then they see how much workers insist on being paid as a premium to take that job versus other jobs that are equal in other respects. And let's say they come up with $500 as the annual pay needed. Then they say, okay, if you had 10,000 workers each taking a one in 10,000 risk, that'd be an expected number of deaths, expected in a statistical sense of one. So it's like 10,000 workers have to be paid $500 each. That's 5 million. So that's kind of the lower bound economists typically find for value of statistical life. And I've been using that. I've used it. I've taught it for 20, 30 years. I believed it. But then Luigi Zangali said pro market Uh, at the University of Chicago. It's not very pro-market, actually. But anyway, he said we should be willing to sacrifice three years of GDP to save 7 million lives. Now, no one other than he thinks that there are 7 million U.S. lives at risk. The top number I've seen is 2.2. But I looked at those data and thought, well, he kind of did the math right. And so that does lead to the, this following problem. If you cut three years of GDP, you'd probably have at least 10% of Americans dying, which is 33 million. So does it really make sense to kill 33 million people to save 7 million people when those 7 million, <laughs> many of them overlap with the 33? And I think for that reason, I've really started backing away from using the value of statistical life when you have large, large numbers of lives at risk. So in in this context, the context of uh, a global pandemic where uh, governments have ordered lockdowns and we've seen a fairly dramatic decline in, in retail sales, uh, very likely to be a pretty dramatic client decline in GDP. Um, how have economists examined what we ought to be willing to give up in order to avoid uh, some number of deaths associated with this virus? Well, that's how they've done it. In other words, they look at the value of statistical life and they say, 
yes, this is a huge loss, but so what? It's worth it. And and the so what is a, as I said, I'm not no longer convinced that the value of statistical life is the right way to go. But B, I also think they're they're just assuming way too much certainty about the number of lives saved. And I think we can look at states in the United States and countries in the world that haven't done a lockdown. And they're doing badly, just as we are, but it doesn't look like it's systematically worse. So in other words, that these measures might not be doing what the, the advocates say they're doing. And, and the other point is this. We had about a week between the time, maybe even 10 days, between the time that various people advocated social distancing. I'm 69. My wife is 70. We started practicing that, especially my wife. And then our governor of California said, we're going to impose this. We're going to shut all these businesses down on purpose. So they never really gave us a chance to see how voluntary social distancing was work was working notice that the nba and the ncaa shut things down before there was any government requirement that they do so even in california where it looked as if the warriors my favorite team were going to have to play without an audience or sorry without fans they'd have an audience on tv that never happened because because uh, the nba shut it down first yeah, and if you look at uh, the reservations uh, at restaurants um, and a lot of uh, other sort of measures of economic activity, it seems clear that a, a very large share of the distancing that uh, governments later mandated was underway in a in a broad way. That's right. That's right. And then, of course, you have the very ham-handed way they did it. I mean, the governor of Michigan is extreme. But a lot of governors have done somewhat similar things. She she basically said, you can't go visit anyone. Well, there are safe ways to visit people. I visit a friend. We go for walks. We're six feet apart. When we get back to his house, we sit on this wall at his house. We're six or eight feet apart. You know, there are ways to do that. And there's just no trust in many of these government officials of our brains, basically, and our willingness to take care of ourselves. So with respect to uh, the lockdowns, the shelter-in-place orders, the business closures, the non-essential versus essential dichotomy that a, that a lot of uh, governors have created, um, you would argue a lot of that simply may not perform the role that it's supposed to. That's right. And by the way, there's no grand definition by which something's essential and something else isn't essential. Uh, so, for example, one of the questions I asked on Facebook the other day, not because I want tires, but because I want truckers to have tires, is, is there any production of truck tires going on now? We know there must be a lot of trucks out on the road. We get deliveries almost every day now of things we can't buy in retail stores. They got to be using up a lot of tires. When do those wear out to the point where that's too dangerous? There are a lot of things we don't know, or there might be parts of trucks, or there might be parts of things in hospitals. That's kind of important now. And is that production shut down? So what is your general uh, prescription here with respect to all of this? My general prescription is open up. 
And I don't mean force people to open up. I mean governors and mayors and county officials should say, we're going to let people do their businesses, run their businesses, and we're going to strongly, strongly suggest that you have social distancing. And I think we get a lot of social distancing. When I go for a walk and someone's approaching me, I veer a little to the left. The other person veers a little to his or her left. And we make sure we're six feet apart. When we've had takeout, which we've done more because we can't go to restaurants, the person delivers the food to the door, rings the bell. We go to the door and he's already 10 feet away going to his vehicle. There's just a lot of ways we're already doing this. I glad to admit my biggest hesitation is bars because people drink in bars. And when people drink, they often make bad decisions. So I'm a little nervous about that. I'm not that nervous about restaurants, for example, or Starbucks. I got an email from Starbucks, which I used to go to regularly, saying, and this is before the shutdown, saying, we're going to limit the number of people in so that people are always at least six feet apart. And I thought that was tremendous. Again, that got a few days before the uh, governor of California wiped that out. From delays in testing to uh, a lot of laws on the books that are meant to protect parochial interests that, of course, many states have since shed to the difficulty of actually uh, getting the kinds of uh, health care and uh, health care products, PPE, uh, masks, uh, and other equipment in place, ventilators uh, in place uh, to to deal with this pandemic. You know, the, the private sector was, you know, in many ways caught flat-footed uh, by largely regulatory barriers that kept them from responding as nimbly as they could have. Right, and so there are two things to say about that. One is, even though they were caught flat-footed, notice how quickly they adjusted. And that's been incredible, just how, 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 like, so there are restaurants in LA, restaurants in Boston that said, hey, we're not doing much restaurant business. Let's sell groceries. Of course, a government official in LA shut them down. A government official in Boston shut them down. And their bargain was basically, you're not a grocery store, you're a restaurant. <laughs> so in other words, they didn't have a good argument. They just shut them down. And you mentioned delays in testing, but it's it's not just the delays in government testing. It's that WHO, the World Health Organization, had this ready product to test. And CDC has this attitude not invented here. So they say, oh, no, we're not going to use that. We're going to use our own. And then they produce one that fails. So we lost probably at least a month, which was crucial. But also other firms are coming up with tests and the FDA is doing, the Food and Drug Administration is doing what the FDA does, which is say, you got to prove this works and prove that works. We're not talking some dangerous drug here. We're talking about a test and we're talking about well-established, high reputation firms doing those tests. And so I just think they should just let it fly, let people test. I mean, one of the big things is my wife and I, we're on a trip to Southern California in late May. And I had been at the Mount Pelerin Society meetings at Stanford in mid-January, sorry, late January. I'd been at the Mount Pelerin Society meetings in mid-January. And there was this Chinese guy who was a fan of my work. And I've got pictures of me with our arms around each other. 
And I got sick down in Southern California. Did I get COVID-19? Maybe. My guess is it's a 20% probability that I did. But still, I'd like to know. Maybe I have the antibody. My wife got sick a couple of days after I did. Maybe she has the antibody. Maybe we don't even need to be staying in our house. But of course, the government does what the government does. They'll give those tests to all kinds of people. Uh, I'm guessing that Fauci has had those tests. I'm guessing that everyone who's standing there a few feet from each other every day on those briefings has had those tests, but we we peons don't get those tests. And if the FDA would just allow it, you might be able to go to a drugstore and get tested for the virus and, and or get tested for the antibody. So it's not that I'm advocating that governments do things. I'm advocating that governments undo things. Get out of the way. Don't just, don't just do something. Sit there. Right. Just allow other people to do these things. David Henderson is a senior fellow at the American Institute for Economic Research. We spoke last week. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.